Good morning, 9.30. Glad to see you. Happy New Year. If I haven't seen you in the last couple of weeks, I had a week off uh, in the week before last, so I might have missed you around the traps. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We want to start our year encouraging ourselves to be people who pray. And and so I really want to encourage you with one small prayer that uh, Paul uh, prays for the Philippians first and shares with us second. We want to be a church that prays together in our corporate meetings. We want to be a church that prays together in our small groups. We want to be a church that prays together in our earthly families. We want to be a church uh, that prays as individuals approaching the throne of grace in our time of need. And uh, if that's a good thing to do, I want to ask the diagnostic question, what makes that hard to do? Uh, Padita's minding my Uh, A book I come back to again and again, and lots of you may have seen it or have it, Don Carson, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he uh, does a deep dive on the prayers of Paul in Paul's letters. And he's got a chapter, chapter 7, that's headed Excuses for Not Praying. And he comes up with six things that he sees in the lives of people that hinder prayer life. Uh, First thing he saw was, I'm too busy to pray. I don't know if that resonates in your experience. I'm, uh, second, I feel too dry to pray. Maybe life and circumstances have stretched you out such that you feel a bit dry in your prayer life. The third one he identified was, I feel no need to pray, which sounds a little bit more dangerous to me to think I'm getting into a space where I don't think I need prayer or need to pray. Fourth one he identified was, I'm too bitter to pray. Uh, break in relationships or circumstances leave you, leaving you broken and cranky make it hard to pray sometimes. Fifth one he identified, I feel too ashamed to pray. Maybe my uh, more foolish life choices have left me ashamed and uh, too ashamed to pray. And the sixth one he identified in his chapter was, I'm content with mediocrity, which is worth thinking about in more detail. Now, if I threw it over to you, what would you want to add to those lists of reasons why we find it hard to pray? Uh, In my mind, uh, I thought I prefer scrolling on my screens to prayer, which may be a temptation for a whole lot of us. Uh, As I thought about my own prayer life and the ebbs and flows of uh, uh, my own prayer life, there are times when I feel stale and dry. There are times when it ebbs and flows. Uh, There are times even when I'm regular, my prayers can be a bit thin or a bit self-centred or a bit short-sighted. And I find in those dry times... A helpful thing is to come back to the prayers of Paul. He's got 13 letters in the New Testament. And I was surprised to learn just the other day, there are 45 prayers in Paul's letters. Some of them are one-liners, praise be to God. Some of them are rich and deep, and we'll have a look at a rich and deep prayer this week and next week. This morning, I'm going to pick out one of the 45 to encourage you 
to refresh your prayer life as we start life in prayer in 2023. So I want to bring you to uh, Philippians chapter 1. It's printed in our handout and there's an outline so you can see where I'm headed in where we are. Uh, I want you to notice three things about prayer that will help us to start 2023 in an attitude of prayer and in the practice of prayer. But the first thing I really want you to notice is Paul as a model of a godly prayer. Uh, We've heard it read out for us already. Uh, Paul begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And he goes on to say, it's right for me to feel this way about you all since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you. Now, there's so much more we can say about Paul the person and Paul the prayer, but just notice a few things that I think when I read about Paul and his prayer life, I'm encouraged to pray myself. Notice first, Paul prays regularly. You get a hint of that in verse uh, 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so he goes... And across his letters, you can see him say it again and again. I pray regularly for you. So his practice as a prayer is an encouragement to me. Second thing I want you to notice is that, especially in the writing of Philippians, uh, Paul is in prison. And Paul is praying from prison. And Paul... Paul is writing letters to encourage the churches that he's encouraging from prison. Notice, adversity doesn't hinder his prayer life. Maybe prison frees him up to pray a lot more than maybe he does in his normal time. But adversity doesn't hinder Paul as a prayer and a godly prayer. Uh, The third thing I want you to notice is that Paul prays joyfully. Joy jumps out of this letter to the Philippians. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Fourth, Paul prays personally. You feel his pastor's heart as he describes uh, that he prays for the Philippians. Uh, I have you in my heart. That's not a passive, uncaring pastor. That's a godly prayer engaged in prayer for his people. And fourth, as we see across the letters, Paul prays in partnership with his gospel partners. It's their common bond in the good news of Jesus that causes Paul to be a godly prayer. Now, there's so much more we could say about Paul and Paul's prayers But even hearing Paul is an encouragement to me to be a person who's joyful in prayer and personal in prayer and regular in prayer. And so I encourage you to uh, be encouraged by Paul as he prays for us. When my prayers are thin, 
when I come to Paul's prayers, I'm refreshed to pray more deeply. And so I especially want to come to the one small prayer uh, in verses 9 to 11 so that we can see the content of a godly prayer here. Again, we've had it read for it out for us a couple of times. Notice the content of his prayer in verses 9 to 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. Now have a look with me. In verse 9 we see the main request in this small prayer. This is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now if you were putting that prayer into your words, what would you say? I think I'd say something like this. If I made this prayer my prayer, this is my prayer that your love would keep growing and growing and growing in insight and understanding and knowledge. And so Paul models for us and gives us the content of a prayer that we can uh, step into 2023 together. We can pray for each other that God may work love in us. Now, as we look at this opening line of the prayer... It's worth noticing a few things. Love and knowledge come together. They're both requested here. Uh, And we need to keep love and knowledge together. Love without knowledge, apart from knowledge, is sentimental or without substance. It's fairy floss. In the same way, knowledge without love, is arrogant and legalistic and proud. But Paul, when he prays, is praying for both, that you may grow and grow and grow in your love and your knowledge. They come together. Love without knowledge is like donkey crashing Shrek's Christmas. They paid me to drop that in as an illustration are good intentions, but not listening and not reading the room. Uh, Before Christmas, I talked to a lady at one of our events and uh, she was telling me her story. She said, I grew up in the Presbyterian church, but then I walked away from Christianity and embraced the East. And she had the uh, courage to say, I find the teachings of Christianity rubbish. She actually used a different words, but that's the PG version that I'll share with you this morning. And I said, that's interesting. Thank you very much for coming today to hear about some Christian thoughts about Jesus. And I said, what do you think's the key thing? And she said, I don't need Christianity. I have love. And I said, I agree with you to start off with. But love begs the question, what is love? What does love look like? 
And I said, the Bible tells us that this is what love is. It's not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what I think love is. Love shaped by the knowledge and truth of Jesus. Uh, The conversation ended and we went on our ways. Hope to see her again to continue the conversation. Here, Paul prays, this is my prayer, that your love may grow and grow and grow and grow, that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. And as we look to be people who pray together this year, uh, it's worth seeing that healthy Christianity is growing Christianity. Healthy Christianity is praying Christianity. And healthy Christianity is growing in love in the knowledge of Jesus. And so here is an encouragement for us to pray for each other that we grow in love and knowledge which is brought together by Jesus, to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus and his love for us. Well, the third thing I want you to notice, the back part of the prayer really describes the outcome of us abounding and growing in love. And I want you to see that uh, there are three outcomes described here. Did you hear them? as we heard that prayer read out. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that, in verse 10, notice the so that, so that, one, you may be able to discern what is best, so that, two, you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, and three, so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Uh, And so Paul is, in his prayer, describes the outcome of love abounding more and more. And we quickly see the richness and depth and joy and love that we are, are taught by Paul in his prayers. Let me come back to those three outcomes. The first one is that we may discern what is best. As we grow and grow and grow in love, in the knowledge of Christ, uh, Paul writes here that you may be able to discern what is best. You will love as Jesus loved, as you grow in love. You will live as Jesus lives, as you live for him. And you'll be able to make wise choices that honour Jesus. Uh, literally, it's you may be able to choose what is best or what is excellent. And it's not what's best for you, but it's what glorifies Jesus. And so as we grow in love, we learn to love what Jesus loves and we learn to make love choices that give glory to the Son. We've already had some decisions thrown at us, but let me tease out the fruit of this prayer as we grow in love. I'll throw a few more decisions at you. As I grow in love, what would I choose, what would love choose in these scenarios? To scroll on your phone or to pray on your heavenly father? As we grow in love, what would love choose? To use your words to put someone down 
or to use your words to encourage. As I grow in love, what would love choose? To use your time to help your mum or to use your time to play on screens? What would love choose? As I grow in love, what would love choose? To spend Sunday playing and watching sport or to spend Sunday meeting with God and his people? As I grow in love, what would love choose? When I feel tired to keep going to your small group meeting or when if, I, if I felt tired to stay home and grumble about work, what would love choose? As I grow in love, what would love choose? Would I use my work bonus to fly business class or would I use my work bonus to support mission partners? They're all hypothetical scenarios to help you see that to grow in love is to love what Jesus loves and to choose what Jesus chooses. So as we grow in love, we are able to discern what is excellent and best in giving Jesus the glory. Uh, The second outcome described here, as we grow in love, we might be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. As we love what Jesus loves and live what Jesus lives, we're preparing ourselves for his return. Uh, To be pure is the positive picture of living a life that gives glory to Jesus. To be blameless is the negative angle, not causing anyone else to stumble in their walk with Jesus. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means forgiven as we wait for the day of Jesus coming back. Now, Paul has so much more to say about the day of Christ and the return of Christ across his letters. But if you're keen on that particular spot, have a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. Or have a look at Corinthians 15, which delve into the coming of Jesus in a lot more detail. Paul here says, here is an outcome of us growing in love as we love what Jesus loves and live what Jesus lives. We'll be preparing ourselves for the day of his coming. And the third outcome of growing in love, according to this prayer, is in verse 11. We will grow in love such that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, we could go into a bit more detail here. Some people argue, is this Paul adding one more fruit, righteousness, to love, joy, peace? But I think the best way to read this is that this is another way of saying the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians. Uh, You might know Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So in this little prayer that Paul's praying to the Philippians, he's saying, as we abound in love, we abound in love so that we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness. It was Jesus who said, a good tree bears good fruit. And so we ought to be expected that the Christian life 
bears fruit in the fruit of the Spirit. I think I just spat on someone in the front row. Sorry about that. At my old church, our kids' church uh, did a series in the fruit of the Spirit. They had a theme song which was a real earworm. I warn you not to look it up. You'll be having it in your head. But the opening lines go like this. The fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit, which seem deep and encouraging words. But when you get to the chorus, it reminds us of the heart because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And then the fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. The fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. If you want to be a banana, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. So Paul is praying, love grows in us so that we might bear the fruit of righteousness, which comes as a gift from God through faith in Jesus. A growing Christian grows in love. And God, by his spirit, works that fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as we're here as earthly families, it's worth thinking about, isn't it, families? What does it mean for us to live out this fruit in our family relationships? How can I... Ask God to help me put love and joy and peace and patience and kindness together. Uh, We had dinner with our kids on Friday night. My eldest son said, let's go axe throwing, Dad. So our whole family went throwing axes. Even Sue, who's a little frail at the moment, uh, the family that throws axes together stays together. (laughs) Here, Paul says, as we grow in love, We look forward to God working his fruit in our lives through faith in Jesus. Well, let me bring this to a conclusion. Uh, In chapter 4 of the same book, Don Carson puts a challenge out for our prayer life. In fact, in chapter 4, he's put the 45 prayers of Paul all together in a couple of pages. I'm going to send you that. I've got to check the copyright, but I think I can. It's only a couple of pages. It's just all the Paul's of, uh, prayers of Paul back to back. And his challenge was this. Read through all the prayers every day for a month. Journal it and think through what ways Paul's prayer influenced the way that we pray. It'll refresh us and encourage us. If that bar seems a little bit high, I encourage small groups on their first night to read through the prayers of Paul together. And maybe uh, you can get your leader to do that as well. Or for families, I was thinking, we'll cut up the list, put them in a bowl, and each day together, let's pull one prayer out and read it together and see what Paul teaches us to pray for. Here we've looked at one small prayer out of 40. This is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus 
to the glory and praise of God. Amen.